Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Uh, hello everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Great to have you with me on another episode of the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco. Last week we brought you part one with James Moffat. Now on this pod, it's part two and the continuation of my chat with James. Now we pick up the chat in 2011 and Moff racing for Dick Johnson Racing and a day where he very nearly snagged a Gold Coast surfboard on debut. We talk about the Nissan years and his time with them in V8 Supercars how he feels now about that infamous Winton win in 2013, about finishing on the podium at Bathurst in 2014, his difficult years at Gary Rogers Motorsport, and then coming back to join them again to race in TCR, although that wasn't his original TCR plan. He opens up on that on this edition of the pod. And James tackles your National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions and the V8 Sleuth Top 10 Shootout. So here we go, buckle up. It's time to start part two of James Moffat on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Repco. As one of your co-drivers uh, described, Moftastic, I believe, to put the American swing of it. Remember Joey Hand drove in the Gold oh. Coast? You nearly banged it on the podium in one of those races, late in the race, on the softer tyre, charging home at some of the leaders, made the right call, got close. Um, co-driven by probably, the, perhaps... I don't mean to sound this roughly, but no one in Australia knew who the bloody hell Joey Hand was. He was probably the most unknown supercar driver to ever race a supercar, and you two nearly banged it on the podium in that 2011 Gold Coast weekend. Yeah, we were well, we were probably half a lap short, really. That's all. Another half lap, we would have would have been on the podium. Um, but yeah, he he was a gun, Joey Hand, and you're, you're right. You know, virtually unknown in Australia. Um, and he, yeah, he did an awesome job. Um, and yeah, I, he was out for for that week of the Gold Coast, and yeah, had, had a had a great time with him. He's just just an awesome awesome guy. Um, and then yeah, that that first race on the Gold Coast on the Saturday, we almost cracked the podium. And then yeah, Sunday didn't go so well, but that's probably I almost remember Sunday more sticks out in my memory because you know back then with the, that race format. You know, the international guys or the co-drivers would start the race, which is sort of no different to when it just became regular co-drivers. But um, we qualified in the top 10 both days. Um, so that was my first shootout on the Saturday. And then, yeah, Sunday we, we got in the 10 again. So we, we were going well that weekend. And then about halfway through Joey's stint, he gets on the radio and he's like, oh, I've got a bit of a long brake pedal. So they're like, oh, okay, righto. Well, just just monitor it, see see how it's going, mate. Like, if it gets any worse, let us know. And at the stop, the boys had planned um, to do. They're going to change the pads. They're like, oh, well, we'll just we'll, we've got enough time. We'll change the pads anyway. You know, it shouldn't have been a problem, but there was obviously something going on. Coming to the pit stop, and I remember, you know, Joey's fired out. Now, boys are all prepped there to throw some pads in it, which was unusual for the Gold Coast. And then I remember jumping in the car, doing the belts up and, you know, thinking oh, I'm going to get ready to start pumping the pedal. And the um, whoever was on the right front, I just remember him sort of standing up, waving his arms, like sort of, you know, giving it, nah, shows over type, you know, that we're done here. So what had actually happened is all the, the straps for the brake hat to, that, that attached the, the brake hat to the brake disc, basically all of them except for two had snapped. Oh. So essentially, if they all snap, not essentially, no brakes. No so you know, then I, I just remember, so here is old Joey Hand panning around the whole stint with this long brake pedal, putting up with it, pumping it down the straights, you know, every, every lap oh. or from, from, from whenever it became an issue. And he's just like, yeah, no, you know, it wasn't too bad of an issue. You know, I, I managed with it. You just like, geez, if you actually knew what the consequence could have been of that, you know, yeah, it could have been real bad for for us, for 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 anybody involved. But um, 
Yeah, the following year didn't go so well at the Gold Coast, but yeah, 2000 and <laughs> 2011 was it was good. We almost got that got that surfboard. So yeah, good times. 2012, the reference there. So I don't think you did a racing lap the next year nope. at the Gold Coast. Peter Cox, the Dutchman, was in a start line shunt, put in the fence, everything that could have gone wrong that weekend. I think you virtually, if you were on a dollar per lap number, you would not have made a dollar that weekend because no. you didn't get in the car for the for a racing lap out no, of no, 204 combined laps in the two days of race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, um, we came out of that weekend with – Plenty of good tyres in the tyre bank. That's, that, that's a that. positive. That's a positive. Good <laughs> on you. Uh, but the yeah. other thing was the thing that um, from our chat so far and from looking back at your career, isn't it funny? And we talked about the full circle thing of, you know, testing at DJR, racing for DJR later on, not going so well with FPR, now being there in its current Tickford iteration, GRM and GRM over a, a shorter period. But who would have ever thought that, I mean, back in the day, your dad fought so hard with Bob Jane. And there's his son, Rodney, assisting you, in essence, through subsidising your, your Carrera Cup car. Um, and some of these names from the, you know, Dick Johnson, that a Moffat and a Johnson are racing together and you're driving for Dick. All of these little uh, planets of names from the past, they're all linking together. It's, it's quite funny. You'd have to sit there and, and giggle at it because a lot of people would have thought, oh, there's no way a Jane and a Moffat. I mean, they used to bang into one another at Warwick Farm and yeah. Sandown and Camaros and Mustangs. And the the young blokes are actually helping one another out. Who would have thought? Yeah, exactly. And I, sp- I sp- suppose if you if you spoke to the respective, um, you know, Alan and Bob, certainly back in the day when they were competing against each other, they probably wouldn't have had too many kind words to say about each other. So, yeah, it's just you're right. It's funny how it, it all work, it, it all works itself out some somehow. But it's you know it's a support along the way of. You know, Rodney, Jane and, and Bob Jane teammates, you know, like that, that career cup deal doesn't happen along with Mick and Maria. So, um, yeah, they're all sort of – it's all, all stepping stones for yeah, sure. It all connects. Hey, the big one I want to talk to you about, 2013, you go to Nissan, the new Nissan program with the Kellys, the new car of the future era of, of supercars. Does it piss you off? that people still talk down your win at Winton as being it was only because of the fuel? Does it still annoy you, what, eight years on? Um, I, I guess the probably the short answer to that is yes and no. Um, there's there's obviously the, the backstory to all that, that some people either choose not to a- a- acknowledge or, or want it, to accept. Is that the fact that every other team signed off on the change of fuel for that weekend? Yeah, absolutely. So, and and it sort of goes beyond that. I, I think people easily forget that it wasn't just in the, the two yellow Norton Nissan cars. It was in one of the Erebus um, Mercedes. And, you know, that that particular car didn't go any, any good on. So, you know, if there was a big advantage on the fuel, then the performance of that car would have been improved, but it wasn't from where it was running every other weekend of that year. So, um, but yeah, I guess prior to that was we had a test day at Winton, well, along with all the other Victorian teams, a couple of weeks out from from the race meeting, which was you know n- normal, and um, they actually ran that that blend of fuel in in the Jack Daniels cars, in Todd and Rick's cars, so. You know, Caruso and I, we were sort of a bit like, oh, well, if there's anything in it, well, it'll go in the Jack Daniels cars anyway. You know, Nissan Motorsport was Kelly Racing, you know, so. Makes it, sense. Yeah, it's yeah, a logical exactly. so, logical yeah. bow to draw. And I guess we should say, though, mate, that the thing was it was E70 fuel. So yeah. normally supercars were running E85, which is 85% ethanol, 15% petrol, but this was a different blend. So it was 70% ethanol and 30% petrol. Yeah. And it was, it was being used as a way to, okay, how, what can we do with this to maybe – because it was clear that the Nissan and the Mercedes were coming in with different architecture to the traditional GM engine in the Holden and the Ford in the Ford, just to give the quick background yeah. on what we're talking about. A hundred percent. And really the, the, I guess the, the motivation behind trying it was the, the 
the Merck engine and the Nissan engine, the, the fuel economy was absolutely rubbish compared to the incumbents, the Ford and, and the, the Chev engine. You know, um, and it was based around, um, and we still have this today. This rule in place for the endurance races of of the um, minimum amount of compulsory pit stops, and, and that fuel. was bought yeah. in for fuel. Um, you know, back before this happened, what was it? It was you could do Sandown five hundred on three stops, and maybe Bathurst on six stops. Maybe or, or five stops. Five, I can't remember. Five, yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. You know, that might have changed a bit when the capacity of the fuel tank reduced and, as well. And the E85 obviously changed yeah. too from two thousand and nine. Yeah, but you know, for forever and a day, Bathurst was a you know you, you had to do Bathurst on on five stops. So that was also part of the the rationale behind this E70 um, fuel blenders. You know, at that point in the year, we worked out well we're going to go to the Sandown five hundred. And the Fords and Commodores are going to be able to do the race on three stops, and the Mercs and the Nissans are going to be able to, they'll have to do four stops. So, like, you already, you're not in the race. Mm, yeah. Um, and so we still have that rule in place now. So that that's what is a little bit laughable about the situation. So, yeah, anyway, backtracking a little bit, we do the test day at Winton, a couple of weeks out, it's in the Jack Daniels cars, and we didn't, didn't really sort of hear anything of it, you know. We sort of, you know, you, you have your test program and we were focused on that. And then um, I, I can't even remember, you know, the wash-up of, of what, it, what it was from the test date. But we roll up to the race meeting and we find out, Caruso and I find out that they're going to run it in our cars for the, for the weekend. We're like Caruso being, you know, in his sort of jovial little self. He's like, oh, well, there's obviously nothing, no performance in it if it's in our cars, you know, <laughs> versus Todd and Rick's cars. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess you're probably right. So there probably isn't anything in it. And um, so, yeah, we do Friday. We'd had a really good test day. And I was sort of a little bit nervous going into the weekend anyway because – Traditionally, in the past, you could have a you know track conditions at Winton are so so finicky that you could have a really you know come out of a test day thinking, oh yeah, no, we're on here, you know, and you go back to the race meeting, different track conditions, and you know where with you know the same setup. So um, I was a bit nervous going into the race meeting, thinking, oh, you know, is that going to translate? And the car was quick on Friday. Uh, we were competitive in practice. I think both of us were competitive. And then, you know, qualified second and third. Um, but the thing also to, I guess, highlight is we were massively down on, on a straight line speed. You know, that, that's, there's no hiding behind that. And, you know, as it turned out, that car was probably aerodynamically, it, it had a lot of drag in it as well. But of all the circuits you go to in the country, Winton is the only place you don't get into top gear. So if there was ever going to be a, a circuit that, that that car was going to be, you know, very competitive at, Winton on paper was definitely our best shot anyway. So, um, yeah, it was that 60-60 sprint format race and, yeah, you know, we obviously finished 1-2 and, yeah, there was a big shit fight about it after the race about the fuel and, you know, essentially, not essentially, um, there was, I guess, people within the sport that were able to get that reversed for the Sunday, and we we ran normal fuel, you know, the E eighty five on on the Sunday. But I think that the thing that disappoints me the most about it is I I obviously and the people that were at Nissan at that time we didn't know how much effort had gone in behind the scenes to to get to that point. So it was – I was more disappointed for, you know, all the, all the guys and girls in the team and, and Todd and Rick and, you know, poured all this blood, sweat and tears into this program for it to be a little bit discredited away from them, you know. As, as a driver, you, you get to, I guess, be seen as, 
as taking all the spoils, but it's everybody. Yeah, everybody contributes to to the result. So, um, yeah, so, so that's why I say yes and no. Um, and I say no, it doesn't piss me off because I know the facts behind it all and I know that there was no performance gain and this and that, but I also understand or get how people can look at it from the outside and go, oh, well, it had to be, there had to be a difference in the fuel. So, you know, I've, I've learned in life that you're never going to please everybody. Some people like you, some people don't. So, you know, no point trying to make everybody happy when some people are just never going to be happy. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, just, yeah, I guess to reiterate, I was more, more disappointed for, um, a bit of the re- reaction to it for, for everybody in the team. And, um, you know, I knew, I knew how much it meant to everybody in the team. Like Todd Kelly's a pretty unemotional, unemotional guy. And, you know, when he comes running up to you after you just hopped out of the car and gives you a massive bear hug and you see the reaction on his face, you're like, yeah, this means a fair bit. To, you know, so and it was, you know, at the time it meant meant heaps to me as well. Like it was sort of the realization of ticking one of another one of those boxes, you know, winning winning a, a race in the pinnacle level of, of racing in Australia. That was it was a big deal for me. And you basically had gone ten years from your first car race to getting to what you wanted to be main game yeah. race winning supercars, well V eight supercars as it was then. Uh, championship winning driver and the fact that it was your first I mean if you'd already won five or six and this was the next one in the queue and it came with this stigma but it's your first it's the one that should be the big breakthrough the the really great happy memory which clearly you do have because you sprayed the champagne and you you celebrated with your team and you copped a Todd Kelly bear hug which I reckon makes you probably one of maybe two three people in the world to ever have one of those um but is there it sort of takes a little bit of the gloss and the shine off it from the from the stone throwers or do you you keep the gloss and shine in your in your memory because you experienced all those those great things that happened on that day Oh, no, like I think, no doubt there is a little bit of gloss off it for sure. Um, and, yeah, for, for the reasons that I, I just I touched on. Um, yeah, and I, I guess I was just, I was also maybe disappointed in how it seemed like something that was, was signed off by all the teams that, you know, they knew well and truly what was going on. They all agreed to it. So it wasn't like it was slipped under the under the carpet or anything like that. But then for it to be, you know, it wasn't even just taken out of the cars for the, the next race event. It was taken out of the cars for the next day. Um, and then, yeah, as, as it turned out, we probably didn't help our – well, we didn't help ourselves because our car was clearly competitive. But like anything, you, you know, they're never it's never perfect. So we were chasing a little bit of setup stuff. We thought, oh, if we do this and do that. Um, maybe we can find that, you know, extra tenth or two. So we made some changes and, and it was back-to-back qualifying sessions and the thing was no good. And, you know, when I'm saying it was no good, you only have to be two or three tenths off in, in supercars and you go from being okay or looking good to looking average real really quickly. And we qualified nowhere in that first qualifying session I think both of us, both Michael and I, you know, we weren't we weren't where we were on on Saturday. So you know, immediately I, I recognised that it doesn't look good. But then we just basically bolted the setup we had in for Saturday for the second quality session, and I think I qualified sixth or seventh. So you know, we weren't right up the front, but we were still back in in the mix. You know, um, so that probably added a bit of fuel to the fire as well. I tell you what, though, there was another highlight along the Nissan journey, which went for a few years, 2014 Bathurst. You and your buddy Taz Douglas end up with, if Paul Morris and Chaz Mostert were an unlikely winner from last on the grid with a battered car in the wall, uh, was it your car in the wall twice? twice. <laughs> you actually had yep. twice and still got to second place. Do you yep. look back on that race and wonder how on earth did we salvage a podium out of a – it was a weird day. It was crazy oh. for – Anyone and everyone, every team and car and driver had some weirdness go on. 
But do you look back on that and think, oh, my God, this? how on earth does that happen? It's such a difficult, strange story to try to unpick to find the logic in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah crazy day. And I think, you know, everybody that looks back at, at that race still just shakes their head at how it unfolded. Um, you know, you probably summed it up perfectly. Everybody basically wouldn't have gone through that day without having an issue of their own. Um, it was just how big big of an issue it was. Um, yeah, and, yeah, for us, our car was, we were, you know, we made the top 10 shootout that weekend. So, you know, that was my first shootout. So, again, from a personal level, that's like big tick box, mm. top 10 at Bathurst. This is this is cool, you know. Um, so, yeah, our car was, um, I'll say, like, our car was competitive across the top of the mountain, but it wasn't that competitive on the straights. And and on a single lap, we could get away with that because you could drive the car how you needed to to get the most speed out of it. And, you know, we were quick enough to get in the, in the, in the shootout. But, um, yeah, then in the race, first stint, I'm like, whoa, we are in big trouble, just absolutely getting smashed on the straights because, yeah, it's all well and good being at Bathurst, quick across the top of the mountain, but when it comes to the race, you can't cr- pass across the top. So, um, yeah, we, we dropped back a little bit, I think, in the first stint. Certainly weren't able to hold position, just getting smoked down the straights. Um, and then, yeah, Taz jumped in for his stint. And then, you know, the first time he ended up in, in the fence at turn two wasn't, was, you know, to be fair, wasn't his fault. He got sort of shoved off. Do you remember um, who it was? Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, Cam Waters in, in uh-huh. Perko's car. Uh-huh, yeah. yes. Um, and, yeah, so there was very little, basically no damage at all um, from from that contact that, you know, Taz, you know, he, he ended up just kissing the tyres. And, um, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure we would have pitted to just put a tyre on it just to be safe. But, yeah, it was the second Second time he ended up in the fence, which when the track was starting to to break break up there at turn two, that I remember um, I was just about like I was scheduled to hop back in the car, and then sure enough, so I'm sort of sitting in the garage with my helmet and everything on, ready to go, and then up on the screen pops the thing buried hard in the tires this time at turn two, and you're like, hmm. Yeah, that one's that one's not going to just buff out. Like, there's a fair <laughs> bit more damage on it. Yeah, um, and he yeah he dragged it back to the dragged it back to the pits, and he sort of reported that it was still steering, steering was still straight, but you could see from the footage that there was a lot more damage to that sort of left front area of the car, and then, um, yeah, sure enough. So I, I've jumped in. We've done a pit stop. Um, I think we did the driver change and then we're like, oh, no, we're going to put it in the, the garage. But then the red flag, they must have, for whatever reason, we, we didn't put it in the garage and we ended up going back out on the circuit because I think, well, the red flag was, was going to be called or it couldn't have been called because we wouldn't have been allowed back out onto the circuit. But anyway, I remember forming back up on the grid like everybody did on the front straight there, and um, I have a bit of a laugh about it because you and I and everybody that was there and everybody that watched it on TV would remember how long that red flag went for. Pretty much an but, hour. Yeah. So, but I remember at the time there had been a message that it was going to be about a fifteen to twenty minute delay. They're like, oh, okay, righto. So, but then, like, so my boys, they just the crew guys on on my car, I should say. Um, they just hooked into trying to, to fix the damage. And it was a good thing that that red flag went for almost an hour because they were working on that thing absolutely flat stick until the moment that the race restarted. Um, and then from that point on in the race, which was basically halfway, it was reasonably straightforward for us you know well, I, th- I think we got all our bad luck out of the way in the first half and we were the last car on the lead lap when the race restarted um and i think not not long after the race restarted there was another safety car which meant a bunch of cars came in and pitted 
Um, and because we had come in just before the red flag um, was displayed, we topped up with fuel. So we were close to our pit window anyway. So that got us a whole heap of track position back. And from that point on, I sort of remember that we, we sort of maintained that track position for basically the, the rest of the day. But we were on speed. We were back back after the top 10, you know, like we, we didn't have by far the quickest car out there. Um, and then, yeah, just all I remember um, at some point in the race, maybe even under the red flag because we are like, the thing was such a such a dog in a straight line that we we took a lot of wing off it, and then it just made it really wild to drive across the top yeah. of the mountain, um, especially towards the end of the stint as as the tyres were going um, going off. So, um, and then as the track sort of cooled off because of the, the red flag delay and uh, tracks cooling off, gripping up, I remember saying to Nathan, my my engineer on the radio, I'm like, mate. All we've done by taking the wing off is is taken away all the strengths that we had in the car, um, in terms of its its handling, and you know we're not getting a benefit down the straight from it. So just put the wing back on, and you know boys were were tooled up to do that in a pit stop anyway. So I was like, just give me max grip so I can go max attack. So if there is an opportunity, I'm there to be able to make the most of it. You know, use the strengths of the car. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, yeah, that, that the last sort of 10, 15 laps of that race unfolded. We were sort of fifth or sixth. And I remember, you know, Shane's obviously had his problem stalling it and not being able to restart. So then I think we, we might, might have been fifth. There was an Erebus car in front of us, but the boys were telling me, no, nah, he's like massive fuel cons- Conservation, which I, think, so, which I think was Will Davison. Okay, in, yeah, in, in yep. Erebus car, yep, yep. There's a couple um, who played the call to go either get on with it or slow. Yeah, and I think Lowndes punted Winterbottom, so that wiped yep. them out because Frosty spun and Cray copped a penalty. So the seas were partying here for the Moth Band to just come on yeah. swimming on so through. I think, I think at that point we must have been P five, um, and then yeah, Lowndes taken out or given given Frosty the big serve. So I'm like, fuck, okay, we're fourth, but then. I was right behind that. I I I know what happened. I saw what happened. Lounge will get a penalty for that. So I'm like, we're we're in third here. So at that point, I'm like, this has been pretty good outcome from where we were probably four hours ago, stuck in in the fence, you know. Um, and then yes, yeah, the last lap. I remember driving out of turn one up up mountain straight on the last lap, and Nathan, my engineer, he come on the radio and he said, yeah, wing cups like in big trouble with fuel. Just be careful. He's going to run out. So just be cautious if he runs out in the wrong spot, you know, coming down the mountain or whatever, if you catch him. And, um, yep, sure enough, what did he run out of fuel coming down Conrod? And I think I passed him coming out of the chase. And then it was like, oh, shit, we're, we're going to finish second. So I was on the podium with you, nudes. Right? You oh, yeah, the, that's um, right. I forgot you're that. You're doing the um, – you're right. Podium I, presentation. I was. It's funny. I had not even pondered that until you said it, which I know sounds wrong, but it's true. Um, that's right. I did the podium presentation that year because uh, that was a lot. Because I'll tell you why. There's a story to that. The race, because it went so long, as soon as the cars crossed the line, the main coverage off seven, it swapped to seven, mate. And that year, Mark Beretta had been put in the commentary box with Neil and Scafey, and for whatever reason, he had to manage the channel change at the end of the race, which was really just turn to seven, mate, now, which I'm not sure why it was such a big deal. But I got a call about 10 laps to go through my headset because I sat next to the boys and did the ad breaks for the commentary, and they said, and I I don't have – my right shirt on. I've got some, like, just the generic Channel 7 V8 Supercar Polo shirt because I'm done for the weekend from an on-air point of view. Like, you're not going to see me. And then they're telling me to host the podium at the Bathurst 1000 <laughs> with eight <laughs> laps notice. So no one told me what I was doing. No one told me that I was going to go out there and interview everyone. It just all unfolded. And yeah, I think Taz Douglas, he, he got in trouble, didn't he, because he took a GoPro out there. No, he, he took his he took his phone. He took his phone. He so, got in big yeah, trouble with that one, didn't he? Yeah, that, like the podium, like that. That's an uh, experience that I'll never, 
never forget like being on the Bathurst podium, although it was uh, sort of standing there in second going, like this is a pretty good outcome from how our day's been, but am I that close to winning the Bathurst 1000? So like am I ever going to get a chance to experience this again? So it's sort of like wanting to soak it all in, but, you know, like have we just missed out on the chance to win the Bathurst 1000 by, you know, only a couple of seconds, but also, geez, we're pretty lucky to be here with how our race or our day's been. And then, yeah, Taz, the loose loose guy, he's just rolled out there with his phone and just, just filming the whole thing. So, like, he's still every now and again, every every Bathurst morning now, you know, he's no longer driving himself, but every every morning in Bathurst, he sends me that video with a clip that he's got, you know, <laughs> trying try to get it. back up there again and experience this. So, so it's... Um, yeah, but yeah, then the powers to be, they sort of frowned upon that and they said... Uh, he didn't get fined, but he got spoken to about it and I think then there was a rule board in place that you can't take a GoPro or a phone up onto the podium, but it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty you know, special memory that we've got, that's for sure. It's a great point that you raise, and I love talking to drivers about this, that concept of you see basically most drivers are pretty happy when they finish on the podium at Bathurst, second or third, because it's such a special race. It's an amazing um, place to be in front of all of those people. Hopefully, we can get back to that in the future with a, a full, f- uh, f- you know, field of fans, as it were, but beneath the grandstand with the, the cheers and the chants and the flags and all that sort of stuff. But it, the psychology really interests me in that some drivers, exactly as you just said, the mo- the overriding thought is this might be as close as I get to the thing that defines what I do. I'm 0.5, I'm 1.5, whatever it is, seconds away, but I'm second. I might not get back to this point. And when you're a younger driver, you might think, well, I'm going to be around for 10 or 15 years. I'll get back here. I'll get another shot. This is great. But isn't it funny the psychology of different drivers with a different viewpoint of, wow, I'm just thrilled to be here versus I might never get back here again. That is as close, this step next to the the other step where those guys are holding that trophy that I'll ever get to the thing that I want to be and want, and want to get to. I love the insight and your your take on it. Yeah, and I guess that sort of just comes back to how you're wired in a way. Like for me, all I want to do, mate, is is win the Bathurst 1000. That's the reason why I, I still race now, um, not just do the co-driving stuff, but the, the other racing that I do is all – the, the motivation behind it is to keep me as sharp as possible. I, obviously, I enjoy racing and I enjoy competing and all that, but not competing full-time in the championship series, well, I want to put myself in the best possible position to go to Mount Panorama in October, when it traditionally is, and and have a crack at winning that race. Um, so, yeah, that's, I guess, for as long as I have been racing that's always that's been my goal you know if i can win the bathurst 1000 then i'll be satisfied with what i've been able to achieve you know so Mm. until that until you know there's a lot of satisfaction along the way along the journey i don't really like using the word journey but (laughs) hey you're getting ready um, to be on the block when you start saying stuff like that (laughs) well you never know but yeah so um you know, if if I'm fortunate enough and lucky enough and good enough to to get on the top step one day, then you know there'll be a, I'm sure I'm very confident that there'll be a huge amount of satisfaction that is attached to that. And if I'm not, I also feel there'll be a, a part of me that will never be quite satisfied with my with my driving career or racing career. Mm-hmm. It, that, that's how much it means, you know. Like I, I can't, I probably can't describe or or just give the, the the words the right amount of justification to describe how much it it would mean. Mm, mm. No, it's the it's the thing I, I always talk about. It defines your for, for a racing driver. It defines your your success. If you could walk the street of Australia and say you've won the Bathurst One Thousand, even the person who doesn't know about motor racing at all gets that that's a big deal and that what you've done is pretty special. That's why it's a it's an important thing. 
Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Mate, the Nissan Aero um, came around uh, the, the end of the next year. You're off to Gary Rogers Motorsport, into the, yep. the Volvos and then the Commodores. What was it about the 34 Volvo that seemed like this black hole for everyone who ever drove it? Was it the fact that you're up against the guy in 33? Was it that 34 was never given enough love? Why didn't that, why didn't that work out? Why didn't that work out? Yeah, I'm. I'm not really sure. You you did touch on it there. The the bloke in '33 was pretty handy. Um, <laughs> three three championships later, with with DJR, Team Penske shows that. So um, yeah, there was sort of an element to that. Um, a, a bit, you know, not more than you know. Scotty was very 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 quick, and I worked that out very quickly. Um, and you know that that car was. I guess designed around him just to, to suit him, and the way he liked it was was challenging for me. Um, and, and whether that was the same with the other guys that, that drove it, um, I, I'm not sure. You know, I can't speak on their behalf, but you know, it was it was a tough year. You know, that was sort of that was a period of I guess my career where you know there was a lot of excitement and anticipation from my end going there, thinking, "Oh, this." This is, you know, and, and the team at the time, they sort of said all, all the right things to me in terms of when I got there, they want, you know, both cars to be competitive and this and that. And, um, yeah, it was, yeah, for the, the bulk of it, a, a real struggle. There were a couple of, couple of rounds there where um, I was able to get the car closer to my liking and, you know, the I guess the competitiveness relative to Scott was, was there, you know, um, but yeah, for for the bulk of it, just nowhere near good enough. And um, yeah, we we did have some reliability issues on our side of the garage that that didn't happen on on um, on the thirty three side of things. But towards the end of that program, especially on the engine side of things, things were pretty pretty lean in terms of. You know, like I can say it now, looking back at it, that the relationship with you know GRM and, and Volvo had sort of probably, probably not so much Volvo Australia, but Volvo Sweden, who were supplying the engines, had sort of, I guess, separated a little bit. So, you know, we're pretty lean on the inventory with the the engine side of things because that was still basically supplied by Sweden. So, uh, we're sort of running a bit on dribs and drabs. Um, towards the end of 2016, um, and you know that that did result in in some reliability issues, which was unfortunate. But that that's also part of racing. So yeah, it was you know I guess a year where mostly I was uncompetitive against my teammate, and you, you have to accept that. But then you know, the following year, when when Garth came along, and you're like, well, he's champion of the sport, Bathurst 1000 winner. You know, somebody that I really looked up to um, and, and respected um, enormously and was like, well, this will be another really good test for me. Um, and it was a bit of a sanity check for me in, in many ways because I, you know, I felt like I was very competitive against him as a teammate. You know, Scotty had essentially flogged me the year before for the best part of it. And then, you know, Garth and I were, I, I feel like we will quite evenly matched throughout the year, you know, some weekends where he'd have an edge on me and then vice versa. So um, it was a bit of a bit of a relief. And there was just sort of, I, I guess, a few things with, I guess, the GRM package in terms of the way they went about things that um, I wasn't used to. And then, you know, Garth came along, you know, up until that point, you got to remember that's where Scott's full-time driving career had been. So he sort of didn't really know any, any different um, in terms of some of the characteristics of of the the GRM package, if you like, and then yeah, sort of immediately when Garth came in and you know he said a, a few things and that, that I had been saying, but again yeah, it was probably a little it was it was 
a bit of a confidence booster, you know, because you go through that period where you, you, you doubt yourself and, and this and that, and then you, somebody like Garth comes in and, um, first of all, you're competitive enough against him, but then also some of the things that he was saying from a, a feedback point of view were exactly the same as, as what I was saying. So sort of like, okay, well, what I was feeling was what I was feeling. Mm. But, mm. yeah, it didn't. It was yeah. It turned out to be a really uh, qu- quite a tough couple of years, and yeah, it certainly didn't end my full time driving career how I would have liked to. And I felt like I was still driving good enough at, to to remain full time in the championship. But yeah, that that back half of twenty seventeen, I was just probably I was just mentally cooked in a way. I ended up you know I was putting myself in a position where I was trying too hard, you know, crashed at Bathurst and then, you know, that practice had a practice crash in, in the Gold Coast, which, you know, again, I was just, I was trying to overdrive the car way, way too much. And you know, I was putting myself in, in a vulnerable position and I was probably letting myself down, I reckon. And then the Gold Coast crash in practice was a bit of a like, yeah, because basically by that time I knew I was, I was out. Um, and out of GRM, and up until that point, I'd sort of been trying to chase a couple of other options in in the championship, um, but they had sort of dried up, or you know weren't weren't options anymore. So then, yeah, the last couple of rounds, I actually sort of was like, it was a bit of a relief in a way. I was like, well, I'll just sort of try and chill out a bit, and you know, tried to take a bit of the pressure that I had been putting on myself off, and. You know, it's not like I'd, I was just, I was competitive to, to Garth, I guess, which in some ways is all you can benchmark yourself to sometimes is, is your teammate. So, mm. yeah. But then, yeah, it was sort of then the, the focus shifted to trying to get myself in a position to, in the best position to, to win Bathurst. And you've been in a couple of good positions in the last couple of years. Tickford, obviously, some time with with Chaz. You guys had a win on the Gold Coast as well. Remember in the, the yeah. super cheap car, you did a bit of driving in Carrera Cup. You've you've got your TCR stuff going on. So fair to say, and I think you alluded to it earlier, the the GRM supercar full time era ended not nicely and probably not in a good place mentally as well. And then you know, only a couple of years later, you're back in there and your relationships better. Why is that the case? Is it a bit of maturity from you? Is it just the way that the world all mapped out? Is it admission from GRM that, oh, we didn't do some things right too? How does that all play out that the circle comes back around so quickly? I, I think it's a bit of all of the above. Um, one person I've probably got to thank for all of that is Barry Morecambe. Right, um, yeah. And, and I say that because um, yeah, TCR was starting in 2019, um, I'd done Career Cup in 2018, um, so yeah, put put together enough of a, I guess, um, a sponsorship budget to to go and compete in that series, and with the help of um, John McMillan from Wilson Security and Brian Boyd from Pace, um, you know, drove with Wall Racing, had a had a great year, didn't end so well for a couple of reasons, but um, yeah, then 2009, you know, TCR was launching. Um, it was something that I was actually sort of quite keen on on trying to get involved with, but um, you know, trying to find the, I guess, the, the commercial backing to to support that was was proving difficult. Um, and I'd spoken to to Barry Morecambe. He was going to uh, setting up to run the Hyundai's, and it was actually before Easter in 2019. Had a phone conversation with him, and um, I was I was driving for them. So got off the phone. I think it was a Thursday before Easter. I'm like, oh, this this should be good, you know. Taking a bit of notice, the Hyundai seemed like a pretty good car in, in Europe. And get back from Easter holidays, get a phone call from Barry, and he's like, oh, you're gonna have to renege on what we agreed to before Easter. You know, been speaking to a couple of sponsors and sort of not the demographic that they want in the car in terms of age demographic. I'm like, oh, right, okay. It was a bit of a kick in the Reg Grundy's. Like, thought we sort of had a deal, but, you know, 
Um, so, yeah, I sort of immediately rang John McMillan, who was sort of in the background of being involved in, in setting up ARG and obviously running the TCR series. And he was like, oh, that's a bit, bit strange. You know, he didn't really... I don't know if he knew what was going on, but he said to me that he didn't know of anybody else that was going to be driving that car, as it turned out. Um, the swill, Will Brown, he, he drove it, so he went on to do pretty well in it. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, John's like, well, well you could you could give Barry and Gary a, a call. I know you probably don't want to, but they've got a couple of cars that they're bringing in. So, so uh, yeah, I... I rang Barry Rogers and um, he had heard about the news that I was driving the Hyundai as well. He's like, oh, you know, we're just having a chat. And he's like, oh, at least we'll be racing against each other again this year, Moff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that was sort of part of the reason for my call, Baz. Like, it's like, oh, what do you mean? Aren't you driving one of the Hyundais? I'm like, oh, yes, things have sort of changed there. And I'm actually looking for a drive. And just wondering if you've got anything available. And, yeah, from there it was like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we, we might. And he spoke to um, he spoke to Gaz and they were like, oh, yeah, well, we've got these Renaults coming. And, yeah, sure enough, that's how it sort of all all unfolded from there. And, yeah, got to work with, um, with Krusty, Richard Holloway, which I guess when I was – driving full-time for the team, I that was something that I wanted to try and do, you know, work alongside him as, as the engineer. And, you know, whilst the results have sort of been nowhere near what, especially in 2019, um, I remember going to the first race at Sydney Motorsport Park and we had an absolute shocker. Like, we didn't make the first race. The thing got carried away on the tow truck because it dumped half its oil on the on the grid. Had a bit of an issue with the turbo line, the oil line. Um, so that wasn't a good start. So, but we got to the end of the weekend. I remember the two of us just looking at each other and and laughing and going, "We haven't had this much fun at a race meeting in God God knows how long." You know, it wasn't. We weren't having fun because we were necessarily um, having strong results. It was just going racing and. Um, it was sort of yeah, a little bit back to grassroots racing in, in a way. Although you know, TCR is still um, far from grassroots level racing, but I guess from where we had been used to competing, um, and you know, GRM and Krusty was still working um, on the main series cars for GRM. So yeah, it was sort of great, great, great couple of years working with with Krusty, and then. Um, also developing that that Renault TCR package because it, it's fairly or was fairly underdeveloped at, at that point in time relative to the other cars that um, are in the series. Mm. Um, so yeah, and then yeah, the re- relationship with with Gary and Barry has become stronger and stronger. And yeah, I I can't really put a finger on it. It's probably just a bit of I guess. Um, definitely some maturity from me and yeah, just going racing and, and getting back to enjoying racing. You know, when you sort of the, the full circle in a way, when you, when you first, that you first start it because you love it and you, you, you go and you have fun and then you go through this phase or certainly I did. Well, the next step is how do I make a career out of it? Um, and then, you know, with that, obviously certain pressures come along with it. Um, the way you approach things is potentially different. Um, and then, yeah, so I, I, I just I go racing with those guys now um, and, and I enjoy it. And I, I don't let – I try not to let the results affect my – the way I enjoy it, if, if I can put it that way. Nice theme of this pod over the uh, the parts in the, the circle. We've got the circle in quite a few yeah. times along the along the journey. But I tell you something else I want to put in too, Moff, is the 
National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions. If you're a regular listener of the pod, you know that this is a chance for the, yep. the fans to get some questions in. And, of course, the museum at Mount Panorama, um, given the, the nature of COVID, um, it's been closed for a time. Uh, their opening times are a bit all over the place in, in the recent times. Jump on their Facebook page, National Motor Racing Museum, or the Museum's Bathurst website to get the latest opening times. But they've got some cool stuff in there including, of course, the 77 uh, Moffat X, Ford, um, Moffat Ford dealer, um, XC Falcon, 77 Hardy Friday 1000 winning car. You can go and see that one there at the museum. It's a permanent fixture. Um, Simon Cox is first off the queue or first off the, uh, the shootout line. Tell me, right if you know, tell me if you know any of these people who've asked these questions because I've got a feeling there's a few of your mates who might have uh, rolled a few in oh, here. Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> Simon wants to know about the smashed-up second-place Bathurst Nissan Altima. Do you know where it is today? Um, I believe. Um, so that was, you will know, you'll be able to verify this because you are the guru on all things uh, when it comes to supercar chassis, but that, that car was KR003. Mm, this is the, um, you're going very well to start here. This is yeah. I think you and, know your stuff, but also, so that was the first Nissan that Kelly Racing built, and so Correct. that was their launch card. So the red and black um, Nissan livery car. So, um, but for whatever reason, it was chassis labelled KR003. Um, but I think I, in the answer to the question, I think Matty White has it because I think it's one of his development series cars. Correct. It is the car that Josh Fife has been racing this year that has been the Tom Randall, Bryce Fullwood um, series winning car. Well, there you go. Well, yeah. Then, yeah. So it's it been doing that, more winning. Yep. And there, and so that young Josh Fife, I, I did see him have a bit of a rear wing component failure at Townsville mm. just before the kink there at turn one. And, um, it actually brought back memories of uh, I had a rear wing failure similar similar to that at Queensland Raceway in practice on what would have been the same same car KR003. Yeah. So yeah. maybe it's maybe it's the car. Yeah, maybe maybe you just shouldn't graze any walls with it or something as well. Probably not a well, good idea. I, yeah, I hadn't hit any walls prior to um, when it failed on me, but it did <laughs> the exact same thing. The the main plane just separated from the the wing plates. Yeah, not did it going look. into yeah, did it going into turn three at um, at um, Queensland Raceway? And you, I quickly learnt that supercars rely a lot on the rear downforce. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think to cover off the bit for Simon too, uh, it was KR 3 because it was the third Kelly chassis built, but it was the first completed as a full race car, i.e., with all the parts and panels. So. Uh, you know, one, two, three, four, and so on was the order that the actual chassis was built. But um, in terms of it being a completed car, it was the first one. Hence, it was the the launch car. Um, Andrew Walker's got a question. We probably covered this a little bit before, but you might be able to add more. What was going through your mind at Bathurst in 2014 when you came down Conrod for the last time and you could see those two cars off in the distance of Chaz and, and Jamie Winker? Oh, yeah, well, it, like I said, um, when Lounsey sort of got that drive through and it promoted us to third, I was like, okay, we're going to, you know, we could be on the podium here. We're looking pretty pretty good. And then, um, yeah, the start of that last lap, my engineer told me that Jamie was in stri- real strife with fuel and that there was a good chance he was going to run out. And, yeah, as he sort of started to really slow coming down um, uh, Conrod, coming into the, into the chase there, I was like, I'm going to get him for second. So, yeah, that's sort of what was going through my head. Yeah, I was probably also deep down secretly hoping or, or, or hoping that Chaz would spray it at the last corner or something and end up in the gravel trap and we'd do the full Stephen Bradbury. <laughs> <laughs> full skate your way through at the last corner spec. Uh, Warren Scrag's question. I don't, I don't mind this. I like this. This is a nice question. Which race do you consider your best? Because not necessarily your best races are the ones that you win. Oh, yeah, well, that's very true. Um, there are a lot of races, I guess, especially in the early part of 2013 um, in in the Nissan where, you know, I might have only finished 10th, 11th or 12th, but, you know, I knew we absolutely got the most out of it um, in terms of where the, where the package was at. Um, but also probably 
Gold Coast 2018, driving with Chaz when we won. Um, there'd, there'd been a bit of a few things in the lead up to that, that um, race um, on the Porsche side of things that um, could have easily probably unsettled me. And the way that the uh, that race unfolded with a safety car sort of falling just before the minimum co-driver laps were were finished um, meant that the co-drivers basically did the, the bulk of, of the race and, yeah, we were able to, to come away with the win. So that that's definitely, I think, yeah, one of the, one of my better better drives, especially yeah, with what was happening in the in the background with with the Porsche stuff. So anyway, you, you live and learn, noons and, and mm. you move on. More importantly, I could have really let that derail how I performed in in the supercar, um, and then yeah, just the way that race unfolded, having to do um, more laps than than Chaz and and all those sorts of things, and then it was sort of all it, it was. Yeah, it was just it was a relief to to finally grab a surfboard as well. You know, I'd mm. been hunting one down for almost ten years since that first sort of Gold Coast race with Joey Hand and, and getting so close, and then to finally grab one and the one in the middle spot, you know, the number one on it, that was cool. And then I guess secondly to that, um, sharing the podium with my best mate Perco, you know, they finished second, and then. To also think that Richo and Lowndes were on the podium, you know, Lowndes is going to go down as, you know, we all know who Lowndes is. And then mm. Richo I'd, was who I did my first Bathurst with. So um, it was pretty cool to stand up on on the podium with those guys. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Josh Muggleton's question concerns me but also really interests me. <laughs> Have you got over your fear of roller coasters yet? Do you have a fear? What's the story here? I absolutely have a fear of roller coasters and any sort of um, uh, what's what's the word? The amusement event, park rides. Um, or, yeah, amusement yeah, park yeah. rides. Yeah, I'm not a fan of them at all. So um, Josh, there would be referring to um, a Nissan engagement or function that we did up on on the Gold Coast at Movie World, which was all part of the. Um, uh, Nissan's GT Driver Academy program, and um, yeah, I was definitely not that keen to, to jump on the roller coaster rides up at, at Movie World. So that's what he's referring to there. <laughs> was there a requirement for a paper bag involved? No, well, the oh, okay, no, no, I didn't even. I you didn't, didn't even make on it, it on it. So, <laughs> no, <laughs> way safer that way. Way safer <laughs> that way. Um, another one, uh, Craig Condo. Have you ever driven any of your dad's former cars, or if you haven't, which one would you like to drive? Yeah, good question. Um, there's a few that I would like to drive of of dad's. Uh, can't just narrow it down to one. Um, but I'll start with the one car that I have driven is um, the 1977 Bathurst winner, the number one car. I, I drove that a few years ago um, on the Sunday morning around Bathurst and was instantly frightened by it. <laughs> at just how, yeah, I just couldn't believe that you could drive that around the circuit for, well, it was 500 miles back then, but. Um, yeah, and then so the second part of that is, yeah, um, there's probably three cars of, of dads that I would love to, to go back in time or, or be able to drive, and that's the, the Coke Mustang, which is probably the, the obvious one. Um, he's championship-winning Mazda RX-7. Um, so he has a car that um, he last won his last championship in, and then one of his Eggenberger Sierras. I just reckon, yeah, driving one of them would be something else. So maybe yeah. one day. You never know. And if you ever, for some reason, um, end up in the Walkinshaw Andretti United world, Zach Brown's got the Chevy Monza that he you does, don't drove yeah. in the 70s. So 
Yeah, but he does tend to put up some rewards for his drivers if they achieve certain things with Ricardo, and he gets to drive at Earnhardt NASCAR and stuff like that. So if you ever end up in that world down the track, you got to put that in a contract somewhere. That to, might, might have to yeah, go in the clause, yeah. you reckon? I think, okay, I think that goes in the race suit clause just underneath it somewhere there, the, <laughs> the drive the cool race car clause. It's got to be done. Um, we talked about you making top 10 shootouts. We've got our own here on the V8 Sleuth podcast, so... It's word association. You give me the first word that comes into your head for these following things. You can have one or two words, three or four starting to take the mickey, but see how you go. Okay. Jack Perkins. Well, I can only do two words unless you want to hyphenate it, but yeah, best, mate. We can hyphenate that. That works quite well. Bathurst 1000. Yeah, yeah Bathurst 1000. Um, the ultimate. Oh, nice. Very good. Very good. Coke Mustang. Red. <laughs> I thought you were going to say <laughs> cola. But uh, uh, Scott McLaughlin, I'm interested in this one. Teflon. Oh, nice. Okay, interesting. Care to and elaborate? Uh, Said in a good way or a bad way? Yeah, Is there a story set there? In a good, set in a good way. Set in a good way. Um Either Teflon or, or Prince. So I used to call him uh, – I used to rev him up about being the Prince of Pukakaui because obviously Murph is the king. So he didn't really like me when I used to call him the Prince. Um, but, yeah, Teflon was – there was a period of time there where, um, you know, Teflon is – you know, nothing sort of sticks to Teflon, does it? So that he could sort of get away with most things and then um, – in terms of you know racing, that was, um, and then we we had a bit of a joke actually in 2019, no, uh, last year, yeah, 2020, when he um he had that uh, crash in practice, practice fire where he just clipped the wall going into Forest Elbow, could have been a big shunt, you know, and for probably 95 percent of the the drivers out there or the field, if they had that incident, it would have been a a real banana, you know, and. Yeah, you know, Scotty was able to drive it back, and I don't think there was too much damage. And I saw him after that session, and he's gone, "Hey, Teflon," and I'm like, "Yeah, you know it, don't you?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you talked about him before, Dick Johnson. Tricky, Dicky. Mm, tricky, yep, yeah. yeah, yep. Taz Douglas. Oh, it's hard to put. Just give one word to Taz, but. Um, can I? I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to break the rum word. Australia's fastest surfer. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. I like it. That's very true. Uh, Sandown. Um, Sandown is oh, grandstand. Yes, it is the big, big ticket feature of that yep. place. And when it's packed and it roars, oh, I don't think there's better any, is there. Yeah, I don't think there's anything in Australian motor racing that's got that same. Almost football stadium type of. Very, uh, I've got yeah, very very fond memories of as a young kid sitting in the grandstand, just being excited to be there for the Sandown Five Hundred, and I would sit there all day and just watch every single car go past. Bring back the Sandown Five Hundred. Oh, we must start it. You and I, exactly. we're going to start this. We're going to make it happen. Uh, yeah. Three more to go in our top ten shootout for the V8 Sleuth podcast. Volvo S sixty. Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> I need to make a new rule that obvious is not permitted either. Yeah. But, um, no, it was uh, challenging. Yeah, nice. Challenging. Fair point. Fair point. TCR. Exciting. Yep. Different. Yeah. Different. Yep. yep. Different to drive, different different sound, different look, different feel. Yep. yep. Uh, that's nine. It's a top ten shootout. I need one okay. more. Alan Moffat. Um, misunderstood. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Good one to wrap it up on. James Moffat, you have survived the top 10 shooter. I don't think you put a, I don't think you fended it anywhere along the way there. You didn't chew up the allocation of words or anything. I think your listenership of this podcast has helped you through the shootout. But, mate, yeah. thank you so much. I'm sorry we haven't been able to do it in person at Sleuth HQ. We'll get you in here one day to have a look through the memorabilia in the photo archives. I'm sure we won't be able to get you out of the building if we do that. But um, it's been great to go back down memory lane. We've shared commentary boxes over the journey and done a, a whole pile of cool stuff together, and this is another one of those things. So 
Thanks for sitting down with us. And we look forward to you writing a, a few more chapters in the years to come and we can do this again with a few more additional topics to go over. And hopefully there's a Bathurst 1000 win with your name on it somewhere soon. No, thanks very much, Nunes. It's been uh, been great to be on. Uh, very much appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, love your work. Love listening to the, to the podcasts. And, um, yeah, very much appreciate the opportunity to, um, I guess, tell a bit of my story. Thanks very much. Oh, fantastic stuff there. James Moffat in great form on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Repco. Big thanks to Moff for taking the time to sit down and chat about motorsports of all sorts. We had a, a very long chat, so we had to put it into two parts, but I think you'll agree. Great insight into how he's worked his way through his career. Don't forget the website, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. There's a bunch of great motorsport prints, books, DVDs and all sorts. There's some full race bathysts that are being released on DVD in this back end of the year. Make sure you grab them, particularly if you're in lockdown. Some very good viewing to help get you through before we get to Bathurst in December 2021. Join our newsletter too via v8sleuth.com.au. You'll get all the links to our latest news and articles on the website. Some special deals here and there too along the way that we throw out there for our bookshop. Keeps you in the loop with us, part of the V8 Sleuth family, of course, social media. We're everywhere there. Get on board with us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Get in touch. Tell us what you like about the pod, who you'd like to hear in the future. Uh, We're always open to reviews and suggestions, so please get in touch. And make sure you subscribe so whenever an episode drops, you get notified by your podcast platform as to when there is one for you ready and waiting to listen to. Anyway, that's me done. I'm Aaron Noonan. This has been the V8 Salute Podcast, powered by Repco. We'll chat to you soon. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2, and oil, and find out.